0: And so I get to the team, and I'm, it, things are just so different. Um, even for buds to get into the team, you're now with like men, like yeah. real men who are like warriors, and it's like holy cow. This—I I went through SEAL training, but I'm not a warrior. And we were working a lot, and so it was like I, I knew right away once I got to war and and why that's why they wanted us a certain way, and why sometimes the, the way that I presented myself wasn't always the best, and I got hammered for it. But that really put put me in line pretty much. <laughs> So when I came back from my second deployment, I was, I was a much better operator, a much better team, team member.
1: The Black Rental Podcast starts now. You have a really interesting background because, I mean, you're a team guy, but don't you have like a degree in physics or some shit? I do, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Did
1: you have your degree in physics before you joined the team? No, I got it after.
0: Actually, I did, a, I did part of it before and part of it after. Really? Yeah. Where from?
1: Arizona State. No, okay. Yeah. So it's like a, a legit physics degree too. It's not like Columbia. It's legit. Yeah.
0: And I, I, it was made even harder because I had a I had four kids at the time. Oh shit, yeah, it really? Was a, it was a lot. And I was running a business. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah this That's is good. wild. You know, I, I, I tell people that all the time where I'm like, if if I were if I were smart, I would go I would have gone gotten a physics degree, right? But I'm not. So I gotta <laughs> do the best that I can, right? I gotta like yeah. push this thing. Push this well, thing to the red line. Well, I wasn't very smart. I
0: don't think I have any of an IQ, any higher of an IQ than anybody else. But I just worked hard, yeah. and that's what you know. If you're in the military and you did what you did, it's just all about how hard you can work. I had a, like a 3.3 GPA. That's the reason why I didn't go in and do more in physics because I loved it. Yeah, I knew that I, it wasn't like I wasn't going to be great at it. I just worked my ass. Off. I
1: love. I I love physics. Like, I, I, I love it like yeah. it, it is so interesting to me and it's such a mind bender depending mm-hmm. on what you're looking at and how you unpack problems like it's like um from from just like a sheer curiosity I love it I have my uh my daughters have this physics box mm-hmm. that you know it's like a monthly subscription or whatever and it's just like trying to understand the mechanical world and how we're we're you know, integrating our environments, with yeah. our, whatever it is. It's really fucking cool. But I, I love physics. If I were to go back in time and say, okay, how do I you know, develop my brain and do something uh, substantive? It would be with that because yeah. I, I have a, I have a yeah. profound amount of respect for intelligent people.
0: So I, I did, I was a SEAL. I, I, I've owned a couple of my own businesses, and physics. Those are the three major things I've done in my life. Yeah, And physics is my true passion. I'm not that good at it, but yeah, it's yeah. my true passion
1: because it's so interesting to learn about how this universe works. So, yeah. yeah what, what, so did you have an interest in physics, obviously, before you joined the teams and then yeah. after? So why and how? How did this like... Well.
0: It was kind of one of those things that built. I didn't, I, I played sports in high school. I yeah. didn't care at all about school. Um, but I had some success in math. And then when I went to college and you got to figure out what you actually want to start doing, right. I had some more success in math. I'm like, well, what can I do with math? Um, and it turned out that I just, I, I kind of stepped my way in. And as I started doing more classes in the field of engineering yeah. and, and math and physics, I just loved the physics class. I'm like, that's what I want to do. And that's how I knew. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. When you say success with math, what do you mean? Like, what, what do you know? Well, a couple things. One, I was I got pretty good grades, and I was more successful than the rest of the people in my class, right? Right. But I also found that I could work my way through problems, even if I really didn't know how they worked initially. Even if I didn't right. know the the the. I just had to have some basic understanding of how things worked, and I could get my way through them. I didn't have to actually like you know use a use the entire process. So right. I could work, and I, that was really successful for me. I still remember that to this day, I think my, my sophomore, junior year in, in algebra class, missing missing the class before. And the teacher gave us uh, an assignment on the class that I missed, and I was able to work my way through the, the problem. Like, I didn't even know how to really do this. I didn't get right. taught it, and I did it. And that was, that was pretty profound for me that I can actually work my way through that. So that was little successes, you know, building
1: on each other. But to, so when you think about just the English language in general and how you're utilizing it through both, I guess, you know verbal and written communication. Do you, do you enjoy writing, too? or do you- I, I,
0: I think about myself as I could if I get my mind into it, I can do anything, right? Not great, but I'm a, I'm a jack-of-all trades and a master of none. Mm-hmm. And so if I can get my mind into writing, I can write. If I can get my mind into doing creative things, I can do that. If I need to get my mind into engineering, I do it. I'm never the best at it. That's just something I know about myself. But I can I have this ability to do just about anything I need to to get it done to a certain level. And then I'll bring an expert in once it's done to a level that, you know, can keep, let's say, a company
1: moving. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I the English language frustrates me <laughs> because like math is formulaic like you know you can have some basic principles and essentially if you're dealing with with what i would say is like fact like it's very somewhat binary and and a lot is definitely within business um it, there's a, a there's right and there's wrong and it's pretty easy whereas like the english language is not formulaic to a certain degree, depending on what you're spelling and what type of uh, grammar, wh- how you want to use it, you're you're not going to be able to do that unless you've had a ton of memorization. So you have to categorize the way that you're looking at information. You have to understand how to utilize it, and then what are the rules, mm-hmm. which are you know somewhat a-, a lot like math, but it's like some stuff you're like, yeah, but it, y- you've taken portions of Latin and French and. Fucking cobbled this thing together where you're like, it pisses me off. Yeah. It's like unorthodox and a little bit chaotic. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, who the fuck come in with this? Yeah. Like, it really irritates yeah.
0: me. Yeah. Yeah. I picked, and I, I remember thinking this distinctly I picked physics partly because it was black and white. Yeah. Because I knew that if I got it right, I was going to get credit for it. If I got it wrong, there was only me to blame. Right. You know, nowadays with language and, you know, whatever it is, politics, there's always just all oh, these yeah. shades of gray. And it's frustrating. It it makes me really shy away from those things that I can't be absolute on. Like mm-hmm. those those opportunities, like 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 being creative is hard because you don't know. I mean for you guys, you guys have done this really well. But for us, how do you how do you measure success? Um in small chunks over a period of time you can for sure. But that's hard. So that's why my company's much more focused and it's part of the nature of the company too but focused on
1: engineering results you know and that's just kind of my background too well yeah from from a background perspective you 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 grew up in an engineering family right Mm -hmm. pretty much so kind of unpack that for for the audience i guess like unpack kind of your background and like engineering and kind of like yeah. Well, your last name is fairly significant. <laughs> if you've been if you've been kicking around this world, you've, you've yeah. heard your last name several several times. And then why? Why why have people heard your last name, right? Yeah. So, McMillan
0: yeah. is the last name. Um, my grandfather basically invented the fiberglass stock yeah. in 19... Well, he started on it in 1968, then really started a business in 1973. He had a lot of success early on because he was really the only... He had spent his entire boyhood life and his young adult life shooting mm-hmm. so he was an expert at shooting even when the military wasn't i mean you know these stories of carlos hathcock back in vietnam yeah. when he was using a, a, a mod deuce to shoot shoot guys at two thousand yards or whatever it was i can't remember the exact distance but there was no real sniper rifles back then they were kind of modified hunting rifles so my right. grandfather not only developed a, a rifle stock that was different than anything else and specific for potentially uh uh, sniper operations but he helped the marine corps develop what's known as the modern sniper rifle really? which is the M40A1 yeah he was an integral part of of teaching them how to build a gun that was could be used for that application
1: uh, so how did that how did those two things come together do you know the the, the genesis story between your grandfather and the marine corps and the way that they like the business connected? so yeah. the
0: as he Built that business, it was pretty clear right away that his product was way better than anything else out there. Got it. And so they they met uh, the Marine Corps and all these other. You know, he's worked with the FBI, the Navy SEALs, but they met early on and were like, "Hey, you have something that we've never seen." Mm. And then they realized that he was this, you know, master gunsmith and gun builder, and he really understood all the components of it in a way that the military back then didn't really understand. And so they contracted. Not only did they use his product, but they contracted with him to to build that first Hmm. sniper rifle.
1: Well, do you know that the Genesis story with him, it's like coming to this conclusion, this is the the medium that I want to use and why, like, so what was that? Um, He worked at Motorola after he got out of the uh,
0: Air Force. He was a 20 year um, vet of the Air Force. Really? But he was just, you know, he was a, I don't want to say just, but he was a aircraft mechanic or aircraft flight crew guy. So cool. he he wasn't even in, he wasn't even shooting, right? Uh, but he continued to shoot his whole life. And uh, when he got out, he went to work for Motorola and they were working on a, back then hand laid up fiberglass was like kind of new new stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he had never seen it. And so they were working on it. He's like, hey, I could take this and make a rifle stock out of it. And it would be awesome compared to, you know, the old wood stuff, and yeah. plastic or whatever. <clears throat> and so he did, he worked on that for, like I said, I think about five years between 68 and 73, he worked on it at the dining room table. I mean, I have stories from my, my father, Telling me about, you know, there was back then. Everybody smoked, smoked, smoke, smoke everywhere. Epoxy on the dining room table. It was just just like chemicals (laughs) everywhere. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so ended up 1973. Started the business, and then that got a lot of attention. Uh Um, Initially, he really thank you. He really started it for the competition community. He didn't. He wasn't really doing it for the military. He was doing it so he could shoot competitions. Got it. Because that was his thing. Yeah. But that. What the military saw is they saw that, that they could turn those competition rifles into something that the military could use. Right. So it just you know, streamlined a little bit. And so he started working on that fiberglass stock and was able to develop a process around that. And his first few stocks were just for competition guys. But once he made a few and the military got a hold of it, they're like, hey, we need, to, we need to really turn this into a, a, a sniper rifle uh, stock. So that's what happened. Do you, do you still have
1: any of the original
0: stocks? I don't personally, no. I, I I think the company, the, the company, company does, right? yeah. Um, the company ended up selling, that's a whole separate story, but selling a couple years ago. But there was a point in time when I worked there 12 years ago, 15 years ago, there was a lot of the old original 1975 rifle stocks like that were still out there. And so the Marine Corps, I guess you could call it decommissioned these rifles. Yeah. And, because they knew how significant they were, they'd offered to sell them back to us, not all of them but a portion of them mm-hmm. because they're they're collector items. And so they they gave them they gave us at that point in time they must have given us 30 or 50 stocks back.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah, so I think they probably kept a few and then we kind of sold them as collector's items and built a few you know M, uh, 8541 rifles on that. Uh, and sold them as collector items and stuff. So I don't know what what's still around, but at some point in time definitely had had some back in our hands. It was a cool time <laughs> so you, your grandfather started the company
1: did your Did your father work for the company as well?
0: Yeah, so my grandfather started the company seventy three My grandfather was really an entrepreneur. He' was just he was starting companies that doing all kinds. He has he had he was one of the first people to really get into the night vision game on uh, like um on weapons. Uh-huh. He had a scope company and a rifle company. But Was it all
1: under the same umbrella, the same name, or were they different companies? Different
0: companies, huh. yeah. So in, I think around the mid-'80s, early-'80s, about 10 years after they had opened, he had, he had wanted my dad to run it, or they had made some agreement that my dad would run it. And uh, he wanted to go off and do his, do more stuff. He wasn't right. satisfied, I guess, just running a business. He wanted to go off and tinker and make scopes and make night vision and stuff. And that's what he did. So my dad took it over. I think it was '83 and ran it ever ever since. Really? Yeah. Does he still run it? No, my no. dad. No, my dad. He actually sold it. And this <laughs> is part of the issue, you know, I started Grabo in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad and I had some disagreements about, about where we, where we wanted to go personally and stuff like that. I ended up at the end of the day, I ended up starting my own business and uh, he kept on with his business and he ended up getting to the age where he wasn't sure what he wanted to do anymore. So he sold it. And so, um, it's kind of how, that's kind of how it has ended. So right at the moment.
1: Yeah. So where, when you, when you started your own, what what was the, the differentiating factor between what you were doing? With your grandfather's company, and then now you know mm-hmm. your company. So, w- what were the differences? So, I really saw well, the the, the
0: manufacturing process technology mm. was outdated. It's fifty years old. Uh, okay, and so this hand laid up process is right. taking an inordinate amount of time right. to get stocks through. The demand was high, six months to a year lead times, and <laughs> I thought that there was better ways to do it, and. That's That's where the difference became. There was, you know, when, when you're a business owner, you wanna scale your business. You've yeah. scaled your business. You figured out a way to 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 take something and make a lot of it. With fiberglass stocks, especially if you're making hand laid up stocks, you're not gonna scale that thing. It's no. not gonna, You can never make it as big as it needs to be because you, you can only make so many and there's mm-hmm. so much labor involved. So I set out to do some things different and to figure out a way to mold stocks with the same quality you know all the same attributes but in a much quicker way and we've done that what what's the main process then like how do you speed up that process well you have to take that whole hand what you know hand laid up yeah out of it and you have to figure out another way to do it and so there's still molds there's it's still molding process but you do it in a different with a different process and we do it um it's actually proprietary and it's in and, and no, there's really no Standard term for it, we've we've come up with some internal terms, but it's closest to like um, a compression molding or a transfer molding process, which is a standard process, a relatively standard process in molding. I, mm. Most people don't know what that is, but basically, it's taking your raw material and you're pressing it into a mold at super high temperatures and super high um, pressures okay. to form it under like high. It's like a forging almost. It's right. like, it's like a it's like a composite forging in a way. And so that that takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. And so we're, I would say, ninety five percent of the way perfected on that because we've gone from where the old hand laid up process is like eight out eight man hours mm-hmm. to get a stock through the process one stock one stock eight man hours to we're down to less than thirty minutes. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, no, so that's that's like completely it's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Totally scalable. So I'll, I'll give you one more boring fact, like. It would take, so if you wanted to scale, kind let's of, say you're doing 10,000 rifle stocks a year and you wanted to scale that to 20,000, you wanted to double that. And then in an old process, you would have to probably add 30 or 40 more employees. With mm-hmm. mine, you add two or three. Okay. Because of, you know, we've built the foundation of our engineering team, our production team, our admin team, all that. But to add the production piece of getting, going from 10,000 to 20,000 to 30,000, you're, you're talking two to four people, Every time you need to put another piece of equipment on the floor to, to increase by ten thousand, got it. You got two, maybe three or four guys in support, but two guys working that machine and a couple other <clears throat> guys in support somewhere.
1: So, are you mainly making stocks for military competition, or is it you know what, what we'll say is like comp military hunting? Like where 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 do you primarily come from? hunting? Primarily yeah. hunting.
0: Okay. So that's where our what, what we do and the in the, in the material that we use and the mm-hmm. process that we have, that's where it's most valuable. And hunting in our world is the big game, too. Yeah. It's where all the volume is. Yeah. So us trying to be more of a volume-based t- company, scalable company, mm-hmm. um, hunting's where the volume's at. But do the, you hunt? I do, yeah. yeah. I don't get to hunt as much as I'd like, but I've I've definitely been on some hunts, and I, I don't know how, you know, I'm sure you're a busy guy, you know, but... You know, when you're busy. I
1: hunt my ass off. So that's
0: good. <laughs> oh, that's good. I usually find, I usually end up, especially in like November when hunting yeah. season comes around.
1: Um, that's when our busiest time is at work. So Well, I, I'm, I'm somewhat of an idiot because I, I picked up a bow a couple of years ago and it's just so stupid and it's fun, but it's just, it's. it's it's ridiculous. It's a string and a stick, mm-hmm. but it's really fun. So it's like uh, I, I like to think of myself as a projectile enthusiast because I'm just kind of like I like hitting targets with things moving relatively fast. But I mean, I still shoot real I mean, quite a bit still. Like, like I don't just shoot my bow. I shoot like all kinds of weird, yeah. weird things that I enjoy. Yeah. Do you shoot like uh, competition or or do you get in, like the PRS stuff? Or? No,
0: I don't. I don't personally shoot any of that. Um, I'm. If any, anything, I'm just a, you know, hunting hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, I spend a lot of time at the range testing mm-hmm. equipment right. and stuff like that. People ask me all the time, oh, I bet you, you know, in your business, I bet you shoot all the time. Yeah. Like, I I shoot, but I don't technically shoot for fun. It's just for work, you know? Right. I mean, so. Yeah, were you a sniper in the teams? Technically, I have to say no. Okay. But mm-hmm. I was, I, I I went on sniper operations. I, I, I was issued all, all the weapons. And the reason for that is because, I was in in 2000, 9 11 hit in 2001, and we were like running around with our hair on fire, going to war and us training, right? So, sniper school is a five month long school. Yeah. And they put a number of us in for the first three or four weeks, and uh, they pulled us because they're like, we just can't, we got new guys coming in. Right. We we need us being together. We know we're going to go back to Iraq or Afghanistan we need to be together as a unit to train. We right. can't lose you guys for five months. So what they did was they basically paired us with another sn- sniper on the right. uh, that was already at the team and we just shadowed those guys. And that's how we learned it's kind of like OJT sniper. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So that was my second deployment. My first deployment, I was, I guess you'd call me a, an assaulter, right? So yeah. I, got, I got a little bit of both, so that was good.
1: Wait, wait, what team were you in?
0: Uh, team two. Team two? Yeah. Okay. It's very East Coast guy. East Coast. And then what, what years were you in? Um, to I got out in December of
1: 2006. Okay. It was almost seven years. Right. And then when you transitioned out, did you stay in the reserves at all or did you get, just get out? Yeah. No, I, I got out. I wanted to, I was ready, you know, like, yeah, I didn't. How was that? How was that transition though? Like for, for you? Like, like it was pretty easy. Was
0: it? Yeah. It was pretty easy. I, you know, I loved the military. I loved the teams. I loved everything we did. I loved the guys. But I just knew that, you know, the military is like, you're not, not, your life is not your own, right? Like, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner.
1: Government equipment. (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) right. right.
0: So I just knew, I'm like, okay, so if I reenlist at seven years, I'm going over 10. And if I'm going over 10, I'm going to 20. So it's like, okay, I I have that choice to make. And so, but I've never been that type of person to really... Look back. I just keep looking forward. I work hard. I, I keep myself focused on what I'm doing next. Yeah. And so I've never really, I've never really had a, had an issue with that. Of course, I miss the guys and I miss I miss going overseas and doing the work. But I'm just focused on moving forward. Yeah, for the most part.
1: What, uh, when you look back at your time in the teams, like, what are what are the high points that you kind of cherish? What are the things that you're like I think most proud of that mm-hmm. maybe that most prominent growth growth periods whatever that might be what are those things
0: yeah uh, you know the first platoon was such an interesting thing I, you know sometimes i don't even know how i made it through like i feel like i was not a very great performer but i made it like i kept going right um just like kind of everything else we talked in physics i wasn't yeah. a great performer but i just kept going um you know it was a it's a culture shock too you know you're 20 i was 22 years old when i got to the team and like you know, you're barely just out of your parents' house. Yeah. And, you know, like you yeah. look back on this. I'm 43. You're, yeah. you're a kid. Yeah. And so I get to the team, and I'm, it, things are just so different. Um, even from buds to getting to the team, you're now with like men, like yeah. real men who are like warriors. And it's like, holy cow, on this. I I went through SEAL training, but I'm not a warrior. So you know, it took some time for me to get to get you know really acclimated to what they wanted out of me and not what I wanted out of me. Yeah and so it, it it was a it was a little bit of a tough first uh, uh uh workup because we were still as new guys all still figuring out how to be some some guys got it right away others didn't i didn't but it wasn't until my first deployment that i realized like okay this is why they want me to like cuz we went right to war yeah we were i think we were the first team in iraq after the invasion
2: mm-hmm.
0: so we were working a lot. And so it was like, I, I knew right away once I got to war and, and why, that's, why they wanted us a certain way and why sometimes the, the way that I presented myself wasn't always the best and I got hammered for it. But that really put, put me in line pretty much. <laughs> so when I came back from my second deployment, I was, I was a much better operator, a much better team, team member. Um, I really figured out how to align myself with that community rather than what I'd always aligned myself with as a kid. And so that was a big learning experience for me. And I don't think I did it like
1: consciously. It was like all subconscious. But looking back, that was huge. One mm-hmm. what, what of the things that like maybe you were surprised as to like your your disappointments from looking at it. And I'm not asking you to mudsuck yeah. anybody. Just like what, what were your things that you were looking at? Because I, you know, I, I came from a similar background. I'm like, yeah. there are a lot of things. Where I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. And then there are also some things where like, huh. I just yeah. didn't expect that one. Hurry up and wait, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of waiting. Around. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of. Fucking I don't care waiting. how high speed you are. there's yeah. a lot of waiting around. It's a lot of waiting around. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, that's okay. That's the nature of the beast.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a big machine. That's like, a big machine. It's a lot of, like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. Like, one of the things I actually miss is just the amount of downtime that we did have. Like, mm-hmm. I have no downtime now, so yeah. it's like I could read a fucking book. Yeah. Because you might be. I remember waiting on aircraft. Mm-hmm. Like I mean this is like a a standard thing like you know I go you know you're jumping or whatever and you might be waiting 6 hours, yeah. 10 hours sure. sometimes. It's yeah. like sitting on a fucking pallet, pull out a book and I would you got no you, you don't have any other place to be. You can't do anything. Yeah. You're just going to sit there. Mm-hmm. Shoot it or non-shoot it up, whatever. You're going to sit there. That's yeah. all you're going to do. There's nothing else you can do. I have a book in my pocket and yeah. I'll pull it out and Read for when was the last time you sat and read a book for six hours? Audio books (laughs) in the car.
0: (laughs) And you know it's funny, it's probably where I where I actually got into the habit of reading. Yeah. Because I wasn't a reader before that. Like I said, I didn't take school very seriously. And then I got into college and you're just doing your schoolwork. But I got into reading once I got into into seal SEAL training, into the military SEAL training, and then and then uh, as a SEAL. Because you had that downtime. So that's what we did. We didn't have the, even have social media back then. We didn't even have, no. have
1: phones that had stuff on it. Flip phone, dude. Phones. Same, same. So yeah. <laughs> so that's like, what are you going to do? Verizon silver flip phone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you couldn't text be. on that thing. You'd be like, deep, deep, yeah. deep, deep, deep. Oh, there's yeah. none of that going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you had to keep yourself busy somehow. And you're right. I, I
0: Same thing with you, with me, like sitting on pallets with their jumps stuff on, waiting for the plane. And so, yeah. The hurry up and wait. I do get I, I'm at the point though where it was like where I'm at currently where if, if I'm sitting around like I get anxious. Like I, I need to be doing something. Mm-hmm. I need to be like I need to be progressing. I need to be making some yeah. progress here. So that that gives me some
1: anxiety a little bit just not doing anything, you know, sitting around and having time to spare. I do it now as a forcing function. I actually did it yesterday. I I my phone on do not disturb i clear my calendar and i go i went back and forth between uh, i fucking hate saying this because it's so stupid like you know these ice baths that everybody's like oh you know instagram fucking dorks like posing with this stuff it's just so stupid i've been doing it for years like it's like and but i'll go back and forth like i have an outdoor squat rack in my backyard that was like you know like it's full it basically looks like a fob in my backyard because mm-hmm. i got an outdoor squat rack and, like, a barrel that i just fill up with ice. I go get, like, mm-hmm. 40 pounds of ice or no. throw it in there, and I'm, like, <clears throat> squatting and, like, doing lunges and side lunges and just, like, just working out, going back and forth between, like, sunlight, my squat rack, my ice bath, like, just doing circuits. And I, and I purposely put my phone away, and there's nothing else I can do. Like, so I purposely put myself into a situation where there were days when, and people don't understand this about combat, there were days when, you might have five or six days where you didn't do anything. Okay. You just, and there, the only thing you could do is like, work out. Mm-hmm. That was it, like, yep. read, work yep. out, like, yep. planning's done, everything's done, everything's put away, yep. like, you can't organize anything more, like, there's there's yep. nothing else to do but work out. Mm-hmm. I fucking love those days. <laughs> like, I love those days where you're just working out all day long. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. I think back then, you know,
0: I've, it's probably a different mentality now where you're running a business successfully, yeah. you have all these people relying on you. It's like, if I don't if I don't maximize every moment of my time, I'm not, I'm doing all these people a disservice. Yeah, I'm doing myself a disservice. I'm doing my family a disservice. I'm doing all the people who work for me a disservice because everybody relies on me to make sure that the money's coming in, that the, you know, all the products here, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there's like kind of a level of responsibility, I think, in that. Um, but, Back to the ice bath. I do the same thing, dude. Do you? I'm like, yeah, I'm a, we we bought a freezer and uh, we coughed caulk, around yeah, it. Yeah, just, yeah. Now we I get in it all the time and yeah. So I'm I'm in that part where I I beat my body up a lot. Same. Yeah. Um, not just with the uh, you know with uh, you know operations and yeah. working out, but booze <laughs> too. <laughs> so it's like trying to trying to become a, a healthier guy and and do the right things and I've just felt like. Uh, you know, you, you see all these guys now talking about saunas and cold plunges and, and uh, breathing. And you're like, this actually makes a lot of sense um, versus what the government's telling you you should be doing. Yeah.
1: And so. <laughs> I always like it when uh, I, I, I have so many like funny things that I think about when it comes to the government, because people always think about the government. And they're and Like I, I was thinking about this the other day. It was like 9-11 is an inside job or whatever. And I heard this. And I'm like, you guys understand. 23,000 people work at the CIA. And the NSA is even bigger. Mm-hmm. Like the, the government is like a big wooden ship. It's so leaky. There's no possible fucking reality that I live in where the CIA could fucking conduct and orchestrate that. that. There's no reality. You know why? Because I worked for them for mm-hmm. fucking 10 years. They... You can't buy fucking toilet paper in that building without fucking 150 people knowing. So it's like this whole logistics of just like the planning and logistics involved in doing like a really complex fucking operation. If you understand the government, you understand the planning it takes. Because I've heard it, I've heard it a million times. I'm like, wow, this is that. I'm like, dude, you gotta understand. Like, to plan a huge operation like that, you're gonna have to have logistics people. It's not just operators like people who can drive fucking forklifts and fucking, you know, like just the what we'll call, um, you know, the 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 nuts and bolts of it. Like it's just almost impossible for us to have just like conducted something like that and then not had a thousand people privy yeah. to that entire thing. Because right. it's like even the ops that we were on, small, small scale, like mm-hmm. super small scale. It's like, like here's a good example. The uh, um, Rendition, you remember those fucking renditions that you would scoop fucking cleric, cleric X up off the street in Italy and you'd put him in a secret prison somewhere Mm -hmm. and fuck up. So it's super um, interesting. So the agency used to, like, just snatch dudes and then, like, fly them off to wherever in secret prison X and then interrogate. Well, advance question then for Mm -hmm. multiple months, depending on the scenario. Well rendition was outed within i think 2 years but they couldn't keep that fucking thing secret <laughs> like it's like so like the italian job is another good one like they they had a a a, a group of guys scoop a cleric off the streets in italy and that went fucking international public in like less than a year or two mm-hmm. I'm like guys it's it's really really hard to keep a secret yeah. it's really fucking hard to yeah. keep a secret it is um I don't know why I was fucking ranting about that bullshit, but, but that's where I'm always like the impossibility of the government and they're like, just like the people thinking that it's yeah. so, so sophisticated. They also have to understand there's a bunch of like lower level IQ bureaucrats that fucking have zero interest in being motivated at all. They're just like, if they show up every day and warm a fucking chair and collect their paycheck, that's what they do. You know. Yeah. Respond to that. Who the fuck knows how to do that? Yeah,
0: well, that's the one thing. That's the one thing that I, that I, like, when you when you think that there's some kind of conspiracy theory going on, go, you know, do you really think that, that that's not going to leak out of a of a huge organization? That there's not one person in there that's going to be a whistleblower? That so, you know, like even with this, I don't know how far off topic we're going to go, but we with look, this, we can with go this, as far off as What we want. was it called? The A tip thing with the, you know, this alien investigation? Yeah, 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 it's yeah. like, do you really,
1: do you, I don't know, so... <laughs> I, I don't either. Way. I don't want to, like... I, I don't fucking care. I'll incite a riot, like, with people fucking saying stupid shit, because it's, like... I think about things from, like, the logistics point of view. Everybody thinks about the act themselves, like... And then they don't understand the, the planning and logistics and the level of sophistication that it takes in order to conduct an actual operation, which is, like, you have to buy toilet paper, motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Like, when anything we do... Like there's food and toilets and like all the things that actually go along with an operation to support it. Mm-hmm. If we had a large scale secret alien technology, uh, maybe, maybe not. That the amount of clandestine. Things that would have to happen just to support the infrastructure of these secret bases that have an alien technology associated with it. And people still have to clean the floors. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not yeah. like It's not like physicists are going to sit around and go, hey, we just finished up this batch of alien technology research. Now, hey, Bob, why don't you head over there and scrub the shit out of the toilets? Like, you got you to gotta, you gotta fucking... Scrub the toilets. And someone's got to make all these underground bases, yeah. right? That yeah, yeah, hey, like, yeah. Someone's, yeah. like, they've
0: got thousands <laughs> yeah. of people. It's just, like, you know, Billy over here is, like, you know, he's digging a hole. And it's, like, you're telling me that that guy's going to keep a secret or that guy's going to, yeah. like, he's, he's, he's got some top-secret clearance? Come on.
1: Come on. Like, my dad worked at uh, Hanford, uh, the nuclear power facility out in Yakima. And, uh, and you know, it's, like, it's, it's very big, like, I think it's probably a 1,000-acre complex. It's really—and they have half a million, million million-dollar piece of machinery that they just—they use one time depending on where where they're at and what they're doing, and then they basically just—it goes out to pasture. It's, like, left there. Everybody knows about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Everybody in Washington, like anybody that's ever worked on the— that the facility knows all about the, the we won't call it fraud, waste, and abuse, but it's like story after story after story about this stuff. And it's all localized around folklore associated with the the the, the facility. Mm-hmm. And it spreads out throughout the inland Northwest around anybody that's ever worked there. So then when you look at, you know, places like Area 51, is that, is that right, 51? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's There would be all this support infrastructure folklore, depending on who and how you have this, this, this facility. I, I heard something from someone, and obviously I try, try to pay li- little to zero attention to social media depending on what, what's on it because it's like some of the lowest IQ horseshit I've ever fucking participated in, where somebody's saying that there's an alien base under the city of San Francisco. And I was like... There's just like... What, when you talk to these people... And I, I blame social media for this too, because you have a bunch of people that sound like they have what uh, we'll call it, grounded and logical faculties. Uh-huh. And then they have a YouTube channel and they talk about flat earth and, you know, uh, alien based technologies under the city of San Francisco, which by yeah. the way, is logistically fucking impossible yeah. when you think about it, you know, like, why do we even have to placate stupid people? This is part of the whole reality that we live in where we're like, you're a relatively smart guy, you have a physics degree. If people come out and say the earth is flat, we don't have to to even pretend that they have a valid opinion. We can just say you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> but you still like that's the
0: hard part is you still have to be nice to people. You know, you're like, do like, we if you want to have a yeah, well <laughs> as you get older, like, I don't yeah. give a shit, but but you know, you still like you know, I have friends who are like flat earthers, and I'm like, no way, yeah. seriously? Some of my good friends, and I don't uh-huh. know if they, they they don't full on say they believe it, but they're like, ah, oh, you know, maybe. And I'm like, listen, you know, I have a degree in physics, and so here's some things about yeah. this is the why it looks like the yeah. Earth might be flat, and this is, and he's like, no, but this picture, this, like, dude, uh-huh. I, I, you can get any stat, yeah. you know, to match your belief if that's what you really want to do. You know, the big one that got me was like, there's a big ice wall around the whole, yeah, I'm like. Really? Yeah, that- an ice wall? <laughs> Like, nobody's seen it? <laughs> Nobody, Nobody's really been, o- oh, there's one guy who's been over the ice wall. There's this all this land, this yeah. magical land on
1: the other side. Of
0: the- okay, that's just not, just not, just stop, dude. Just
1: stop. Just stop. Well, it's funny because I've had a, uh, and obviously just like you, but with, with this whole, because um, there's a, it, it, Carl Sagan actually wrote a book, um, remember it. maybe it's a candle in the dark but the 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 analogy that he 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 was or the parallel was like you know science and science literacy like is going to eventually bite society in the ass and it's science is like a candle in the dark it's providing a a a small amount of light but it doesn't allow you to open up and see the entire room and Uh He was, the, the beginning of this book, I wish I could remember what book it was. It's been a long time since I've read it, but it was, a, um, he was, he was in a cab and he was driving, I think to, to do, you know, a speech somewhere in the, that the, the cab driver was talking to him about what do you do? And he's like, oh, you know, I'm a physicist and I'm talking, you know, I'm sending this satellite out into, you know, to, to, to play I think music out to the, the outer reaches of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, oh yeah. And then he, the cab driver started talking about all of these different alien conspiracies. So he'd essentially done all this research via the National Enquirer at the time, because this is like the 80s, mm-hmm. I think, when, when Sagan was like, uh, yeah, quite, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he was at the apex. And, but, but where he was saying, like, this is gonna really be a problem for us in the future, if we don't have some type of basis of literacy, science and literacy mm-hmm. within our society, because people are going to believe a bunch of horseshit, mm-hmm. and they're going to, f- because it's exciting to believe in a conspiracy, it's yeah. salacious. I think that's why people it's do It's Fun, it. it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's like, hey, I love a good conspiracy because it's super fun. It's like candy to me, right? Mm-hmm. It's like or ice cream or anything else. A so good conspiracy is like eating ice cream once a week. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's fun, yeah. like let's let's like get this thing around. It's yeah. Super fun, like who killed Kennedy? I don't fucking know. Let's have, let's have a good time, yeah, you know, like hey hey, you know, this sounds good. It's like cheesecake. I'm not going to eat it every day. It's not going to be the staple of my fucking diet, but it's kind of like cool. Yeah. I don't know, man. Let's kick the tires yeah, on this thing. Sure. Was it George Bush? <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, I think science is one of those things where, especially as you have kids and you, you hear. The amount of just like, I I feel bad. I, I to a certain degree I feel bad because I feel bad for people. They obviously have, they they have a degree of curiosity, which is propelling them to do what I would call YouTube research. Mm-hmm, yeah. But it's not allowing them to pick up the, pick yeah. up the right book. Yeah, right. like pick up the
0: right book, man. But you know, there's a there's like a middle ground too because I have a degree in physics and I know my I have some friends who are hundred percent everything they believe is has to be scientifically based yeah, I yeah think about it I'm like we've really only been really well let's think about it from 500 years from now we look back on our time how sophisticated do you think we're gonna say our science was there's uh, now sure there's so there's so many so much we don't know and I think what happens is scientists and I was in this world for long enough to, to kind of believe this to be true but scientists they get super narrow-minded mm-hmm. about everything has to be categorized and factual and you know, have to be able to experiment yeah. on it and prove it. But you know, there are things in our lives that are totally different than that. I mean, as a matter of fact, you know, it's only a small part of our lives that we really can analyze. You can't measure hate. You can't mm-hmm. measure love. You can't measure gratitude. All those things which we operate on a, mm-hmm. every day on a regular basis, none of those things can be measured. So there's some in between. It's great to know science, but it's also great to know science's limitations and what we know right now um, versus everything that, we have, everything that we do and that we have to do has to be based in science. Well, that's just not who we are. I mean, that's what makes us human, right? The things that we can't measure, the, the, our capacity to love people, our capacity to feel anger or hate, that's what makes us human. So don't dehumanize us by just being 100% scientific all the time. So I think I've seen both sides of it. There was a t- point in, my, in time where I was very scientific oriented, but I've, as I've gotten older and I have kids, um,
1: and, I, and I deal with people more, there's definitely a, a, a balance to strike there. Mm. So, well, I think I think as I get older too, I think about like spirituality is one of those things where, like I've gone kind of like around and around with with it, yeah, and. Yeah, you know, it's 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 like when you're too science based, then you you, you don't quite have a, a what I would say is a an objective lens into well, sure you can talk about the big bang, you can like we can talk about it,
2: mm-hmm. but but
1: what caused the bang? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you, you know, it's a chicken and the egg start. You start to to have a really interesting uh, what I would say is a physics and Uh, philosophical and spiritual conversation where if you just allow yourself to have the conversation and you can say, okay, well, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Why don't we just have a bunch of really interesting things that we can kind of unpack and organize and put back together. And then we can have these, these really interesting, you know, uh, uh, thought projects, you know, Mm -hmm. like how do we want to look at this? I think there's a way Way more interesting conversation to me yeah. for 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 a nation and an international community to have than like what what we're gonna fucking identify as next week. Like what what like my genitalia is fucking this or that. Like I, maybe we could just debate as to like like where we came from and like where are we going as a, as as like a species. And mm-hmm. what, these are way more interesting to me than like yeah. if you're identifying as a fucking house cat. Like yeah. that that means nothing to me. It's yeah. actually
0: completely ridiculous. Yeah. I heard something the other day that I thought was really interesting. You know, in the past, every disease or every physical disease that we have, we've always tried to change our mind to match our body. So like anorexia. Yeah. You don't tell your you don't tell your patient if you're a doctor that you're an anorexic but you still look okay and and you know, put them on more of a diet. You change their mind to help them become a healthier person. Right this is the first time in history that we're that we're telling people to change to change their mind or their body to fit their mind well your body is an absolute it's a fact your mind is is kind of movable right but your body is a fact and we're trying to change the fact of your body to 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 match your mind and that's never been done
1: it it, it and it doesn't make sense like like i'm a super i think I think the, the roots of, of kind of my logic are in, like, Western philosophy in the sense of, like, if you're a disgusting fat person and you have health issues, like, there's a really easy way for you to improve your health, which is, like, drastically cut your weight. Mm-hmm. And, and there are ways that you can do that. It just requires discipline. It actually requires discipline. The unfortunate reality that we live in is like discipline is actually looked down upon, right? Where people are like, well, you don't need it. No, that's pharmaceutical propaganda bullshit. Mm -hmm. We want you to be lazy and obese because now they can sell you more shit. Like they want you to be a consuming uh, uh, flesh bag. That's Mm -hmm. what they want. They want you to consume more. So if you're going to buy into this, like, To be fair, what I would say is caloric corporate propaganda. You're essentially co-opting and buying into the narrative that you need to become the ultra consumer. Mm -hmm. I'm just not into that. Like I drink caffeine, but I mean, this is this doesn't actually do any caloric Mm -hmm. or health damage. It actually increases your 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 ability to interact mentally or Mm -hmm. have mental faculties and capacity. So it's like I'm not causing caloric damage. Right. Anyway, yeah, I mean, that you're whole- a physicist. <laughs> you understand this? Like, it's like more calories in, the more yep. you weigh, right? Yeah. It's like it's a f- fucking directly proportional. Well, as a society, in all of history, except within the last five years,
0: we've we've used social norms to as guardrails for our our behavior. Mm-hmm. Now those guardrails are gone. So if you you think about it, you know, we talk about bowling, we talk about all this stuff that people are uncomfortable with, but that's how we that's how we have been able to moderate all of individual's behavior through society so that we can work together and be healthy. So if you're not going to, let's just call it shame a person who's overweight, Mm -hmm. and you're going to make them feel good about their weight, think about the consequences of that. You may say, well, shaming someone or bullying someone is not the right thing. And maybe it's not. But at least that person, that's how we know what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. When you go out with your with your friends, you say something stupid and they're going to let you know. You probably won't say it again. That's how we narrow in how we can socialize as humans. But if if everything's okay, if you're overweight and people are telling you you're beautiful, are you going to change your habits? Yeah. That's the worst
1: it's terrible for you. Well, and and by the way, that's cool. Like You do you, by the way. I'm very much in the way of like, hey, you do you. Just don't expect me to conform to your reality. It's just not going to work that way. If you're like, oh, but I'm, you know, I need a forklift. I need you to bring a chainsaw out to my house and cut me out of my bedroom and bring a forklift because I need Mm -hmm. to go to the grocery store. Sorry. It's just not going to happen. Like, I don't believe in it. I don't think that that's what we should be doing. And I don't think you should be doing that specifically on our society because ultimately what you're doing is you're increasing the overall. Expense that we have to have mm-hmm. directly related to our healthcare expenses. Yeah, that's what you're doing. That's the most direct thing that is doing. Right,
0: yes. money, money, money out for all of us who are healthy and don't have to spend a whole mm-hmm. lot of money at the hospital or the doctor. We're spending it all on everybody else who's making those decisions, and we're just infor- we're reinforcing that now. Mm-hmm. We're reinforcing that.
1: And it's an epidemic. Like, and, and for us to just continue to believe that it's not like I, I grew up in much like you. I would imagine in a in a. In a team environment, where it was socially unacceptable for you to be overweight, because you had a performance, you mm-hmm. had you had to perform as a teammate. That physical performance, you had to to go up, or you had to show up every day, regardless of your height, regardless of any any and other all things. You had to be able to perform at a certain physical level. An increased weight without muscle mass would decrease your physical performance, which also makes you a liability to the team. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. It's what yeah. it's all
0: about. Yep. Yeah. Being able to fit within that social group, whether it's a SEAL team or or whatever, or just your friends. Like that's what we're we're gonna miss because now everything's okay and people are gonna people are unhealthy and making bad decisions and changing their, you know, mutilating themselves. And it's like you know, it was probably better when we we looked a little bit sideways at people like that. So that, you know, just because like what's happening is it's becoming acceptable. And then they go ahead and they do this life changing. They're too young to really understand the yeah, consequences. Yeah. And they make these life changing decisions at 10, 20, whatever it is. Okay. And their their life will never be the same. How, how old are your kids? 12, 13, 15
1: and 17. Oh, so they're all a little bit, a little bit older. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you think back on your, 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 I guess, team experience? And do you think that's helped you become a better parent? You know, I don't know. I, I
0: recently, I've thought a lot about Bud's being so much more influential than I ever thought. Mm. Um, the teams is hard to, to understand what it, you know, how it, how it affects me now. Um, because a lot of what you learn is really ingrained in you in, in SEAL training. Right. Um, I will say that, you know, I grew up with a, my dad was, was, he had a, how do I say this? Like, he was a very emotional guy. Like, mm. he was, he had a lot of anger issues. So I tend to. Was he in the military? No. No, he wasn't. But I tend to be the opposite. Most of the time, every once in a while, if I get, if I, cause I, I've worked my, I've worked really hard on trying to control that part of my life, mm-hmm. like consciously control that. So that only comes out in, in extreme situations where it's like, I revert back to my DNA, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, most of the time, I'm I'm probably my wife is always like you should probably punish them more than you do. Or, you should probably be hard to <laughs> them more than you do. <laughs> you know? I think it's just because I've been through a lot of that my whole life. Like growing up was, you know, was in a really chaotic and 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 ex- kind of an extreme situation. And then buds and and being a seal, it's it's chaos. It's going. Mm-hmm. It's you're stressed. You're scared. And then I did, I just didn't want that for my kids, you know. So I'm like I'm I'm kind of the other way. So which. At times, like I actually have to be very conscious about about you know my discipline on them because I let them get away with more than they than they should.
1: Yeah. Did you are they public school, private school,
0: homeschool? We homeschooled them until so my daughter's a senior this year. She's mm-hmm. my oldest. We homeschooled her until she was a sophomore. So her last uh, she was as a junior, she went into a uh, public school, mm-hmm. and she'll be a senior and she'll graduate this year. So we homeschooled them all until about two years ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it just gets to the point where you know if some of them will go to college, some won't, we don't know, right. um, but they they they'll need to have that. Um, I think they need to have that. Um, you know, that high school diploma, and mm-hmm. it's just an easier path to, you know, getting getting into college if that's what you want to do. So, and then you know the sports and stuff, and I think. <clears throat> I do think that sports is maybe the most important thing you can do yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Teaches you so much about life that math doesn't. Like if you unless you're gonna be an engineer, a physicist or something yeah. like you know, you know, math is kind of you can learn along the way. It's right. not hard to understand like what ten percent off of a hundred dollars is if you're shopping at the store like that. That's yeah. easy to get. But um, you know, learning how to play on a team, learning how to interact mm-hmm. with people, yeah, learning yeah. how to lose, learning how to win, learning how to make sure that you're you're a a solid part of the team, like you're not a total shit bag. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so valuable. That's life from beginning to end, mm-hmm. you know. And to me, those those uh, those sports are probably
1: the most important thing you can do as a kid. And do you guys do stuff like like family wise? Do you guys do like family sports like skiing or or what? Like a family activity that you would consider? I wouldn't say team based, but like sports. Um, I don't, so we'll go like my daughter likes to go uh, every year to
0: snowboard for her birthday. So right. we we'll do that for her. But it, I wouldn't say exactly like what you're saying. Like we're not like, I don't take them out as like a team and do it. What's anything. your family activities though? What's that look like? Um, do do? So we live on a little ranch and my oh, daughters, cool. yeah, my daughters yeah. are, they barrel race. Oh, so we do wow. It, yeah. yeah. So we have like horses. We have basically like, we have almost 30 animals. That on our What? Ranch. Yeah. Uh, what kind of animals? So we have three horses. We have two donkeys. Technically, they're burros. What do you uh, do with those things? Nothing. They just... <laughs> okay. They were kind of like our... Uh, they were uh, our tests pet, test pets before uh-huh. we got horses. We just wanted to say, like, we wanted... You know, we wanted something bigger than a dog, but right, less right. than a horse okay. to see if yeah, we were right. really yeah. going to do this. So we got them, and, um, and then we have two pigs. We have a bunch of chickens. Uh, what else do we have?
1: Are they meat pigs or pet pigs? They're pet pigs.
0: Yeah. More, more kind of just uh, uh, entry into uh, you know becoming more of like more self-sustainable yeah, type stuff. It. Yeah. And yeah. we have we bought these cats. These they're supposed to be call called barn cats. I don't know if you've heard that term, but they're supposed to be outside, like getting yeah. the rats and the, yeah, yeah. and the mice and the snakes and whatever. Well, we have a lot of coyotes in Arizona, and so we live on the, kind of the side of this little mountain. And so my kids love. I like, got so attached to these cats, and then the coyotes would howl. And we now they're indoor cats. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And the kids love it, and it's it's a it's a cool thing to be. Aware. You guys
1: got like solar panels, and are like generator? Are you off grid? Are you no? But Wait. we're. I'm working towards that. Yeah, like
0: I'm. I've been really kind of into into that that topic over yeah. the last few years. Yeah, um, especially since COVID, of of really being. Self sustainable as much as I can. So, uh, we're looking for some other properties too to be able to do that, trying to do that as much as we can at our current property. So, it's just a slow process. But, how far away are you from your office? About 20 minutes. Well, that's not bad. Yeah. And we're not really, we're on the suburbs, but we're not, we're not really out in the middle of nowhere. Right. We just happened to find this community that was like all these like two acre properties. And so, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. We
1: still have a target like a mile away. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, so when you're transitioning away from you know the family business into your into your business and I mean was that I, I, I'm just imagining and I mean you can go in the gaps for me but I'm imagining there's a lot of like emotional issues that are going into that as you start to separate out of your grandfather's business mm-hmm. the business that you probably grew up in to a certain degree and then you're starting mm-hmm. your own. was that a, was that a challenge emotionally and psychologically?
0: Yeah. I think the biggest challenge was my dad and I, we never really got along. Never. okay. Um, You know, I came back and I worked for the company after I got out because I just felt like it was, I'm the third generation. It's, I need to do, I need to at least give it a shot. So I did. And, And my dad, there were times where we got along better than others, but ultimately it just, it really just didn't work out very well. So that was really a big catalyst to mm-hmm. me, also. You know, uh, other than the stuff that I saw that I could do better, m- of me actually going to do something else. In all reality, my dad and I we, so we started a business together right when I came uh, out of the military. It's called McMillan Firearms Manufacturing.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: did you guys build the entire build thing? build the entire thing? Got it. Yeah, and so we did that for about seven years, relatively successful, and then we we sold it. But by that time, I was so Done with mm. being there, and I hate to say it, but I was just done with being there. I was like, okay, so what else can I do with my life? Because I was like, I had this bad taste about business too. Because, like, you know, working with my dad, and I don't want to blame him, not it's just it was us, it wasn't yeah, him, right. it was us, right? So, um, I I was that, that's the time I, I finished my physics degree. I was thinking about doing a PhD. I actually um, applied for the CIA, got in. Um, there was like a th- they told me it was going to be a year took 3 years to onboard me by that time I'd already started Bow. Right. I told no. But those were I had all these other opportunities mm-hmm. that were that I had kind of put my put my hands in and uh, um, but yeah, you know, ultimately it just kind of the writing was on the wall after we after we sold that business it was kind of like that was like the clean break that we needed to say okay, we're done with each other without right. actually having to say it. Right. So, um, it I would have loved to have been able to continue that company on, but my dad um he, it was it was not clear like how much longer he wanted to be there and mm-hmm. so he was just running the business and i i, I couldn't handle being there anymore Got
1: so it. that's kind of what it turned out to be Was well, so when you stood up gray did you go to a totally different you know city did you go to a different state or did you like stay the same basically the same spot and stand it up from
0: I mean we, we actually did go to a different city, a place called Prescott in mm-hmm. uh, northern Arizona. Mm-hmm. So we went there, uh, we, we operated out of there for maybe a year in the mm-hmm. beginning. But the problem was, you know, smaller population. Um, we needed a bigger, we need it was I was the one doing all the work and I was driving up there every day, it was like an hour and a half, and it was just too much. So we, mm-hmm. we ended up back in Phoenix because it was just the best thing for the business for, for me personally, making sure I was at the, you know, being able to make it to work every single day. Cause that's what was required. And then, you know, just more people yeah, to yeah. fill the, the spots that we needed. Cause we're, you know, we, we have employees. I mean, you know, we need employees. We can't. How just, many employees do you guys have? Um, we have anywhere between 20 and 25 okay. uh, right now yeah. uh,
1: at one time. And <clears throat> when you're fielding, like, like impact Grabo for us and like, try to, try to like, provide some, some clarity to exactly what you guys do and then the, the type of things that you're offering. Yeah. So we're rifles composite yeah. rifle stock company.
0: Um, the, the, the core material we make stuff out of most people would understand it as like fiberglass or carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we do it a little bit differently but basically that's that's what it is and we make we make rifle stocks and rifle stocks are you know to me they're the most important part of the whole rifle because that's what you hold, that's what you touch. that's what like gives it its personality. And so the rifle stock itself is, you know, if you're, if you're in hunting, the key is to make it light, mm-hmm. as light as you can. Yeah. But it's also got to be strong enough to withstand all the rigors of going out and doing the hunt. So it's a real engineering challenge. Right. And so that's what we do. That's what we specialize in is making really high-quality products. And we make them, most of them, you know, we have some tactical stuff, but our hunting stuff is super lightweight. Super uh, adjustable, some mm-hmm. cheap piece and like the pull and all that stuff, and it's got all the bells and whistles. Most of our stocks have M locks on them or some kind of attachments, and we make them really inexpensive because, like I said before, eight man hours a stock yeah. to now thirty minutes right. a stock, um, we can we can have them available and we can make them for really inexpensive. So, it,
1: it one of the we f- teamed up with uh, like barrel and action manufacturers, or is it? Mainly, like you're directly connected to the customer, and you're shipping them out to them.
0: Kind of all of the above. Okay. So Our biggest customers are, you know, the big rifle companies. We sell to Winchester. We sold to Remington before they went bankrupt. Um, Bergara, CVA, Springfield. We just launched a stock with with Springfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got two other, two or three other companies that we're going to launch product with this year. So our big volume, because we're one of the few companies that can do the volume that these that these uh, bigger companies mm-hmm. require. So they only have a couple options. So Um, Those are our our high volume stuff, but we also do direct B2C, we have an online store that we sell. I mean, people don't, a lot of people don't realize this, but you can literally take your stock off of your hunting rifle Mm -hmm. with two screws and replace it with ours with the same two screws. Super, super easy. And so we have a lot of that. And then, you know, the in-betweens like the small gun builders, there's dealers out there. So we have a lot of different avenues for revenue.
1: like I and I know the answer to this, but I think it would be more advantageous for you to to explain it because when when you look at you know bedding right mm-hmm. so uh, un- unpack that for a little bit yeah. so people understand like what that means and like because people ask me this question all the time like it's glass bed or whatever I'm like mm-hmm. okay but do you even know what the fuck that means because I tend to believe most people don't yeah so a lot of A lot of what people
0: talk about today, whether it's aluminum pillars or glass bedding, a lot of that is carry over from a lot of older marketing from like the big companies like Remington, let's say, or um, aluminum bedding blocks. So bedding itself is basically taking an action, like a a Remington 700 where it's Mm -hmm. mass produced and it's not super concentric. And you take that, that action and when you put it in a stock that's also not perfect, yeah. you get all these, you get you, you. don't have a perfect match. So what you need is some kind of compound to take up that stress, because when you actually screw the screws in mm-hmm. and you've got, let's say, play in there, as you tighten them, you now stretch and stress yeah. the action, which causes accuracy issues. But as technology has gotten better, as um, like our stocks, they're made in a different way so that, the, that we're much more consistent the 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 place that houses the action is much more consistent and much more accurate than any than any previous fiberglass stock. And action makers nowadays are getting better with their with their um, concentricity mm-hmm. and their machining specs. We get to the point now where very little um, benefit in bedding your rifle. Now you still can you know the stocks fully capable of being bed. Sure, but um, because of those two match. So much better now than they did, let's say 40 years ago when b- right. betting was a huge thing, and um, you're just you're seeing less and less of it so
1: what, what do you think like from an action perspective, like in your opinion, who's making the best hunting action right now well there's a there's a
0: bunch of companies making actions now. Um, Defiance makes a great action. Um, there's a co- company called Zermatt that's making good stuff. Impact's making great actions. Um, Lone Peak is making great actions. There's so many of them out there and they're, I would say 20, 30 years ago, all that stuff is really hard, but there's so much technology and manufacturing now that like to hold the tolerances that you need to get a really concentric action or to ha- have the technology you need to mold rifle stocks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so much better now. And that's why you see so many more people in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came to work at McMillan Mac- in 2006, there was really only two composite stock—well, make- I shouldn't say that. There was four, but two on the, state, on the, on the level of McMillan, McMillan and Manners, and now there's half a dozen, and then there's more chassis companies. Yeah, you've yeah. heard of a chass- chassis stock, but they're like the aluminum ones. Mm-hmm. And now chassis are becoming popular. There's so a half a dozen chassis companies making them. Back then, there was two or three players. You know, that's it. So, um, as technology. Advances and more and more people can do it. You know, a little bit easier. More and more people come to the market, and the market's growing. Right. You know, um, we saw 2021 after after uh, COVID and the riots. That was the biggest year for new new buyers. Right. Million. I think over a million or a couple million new new gun owners. Mm-hmm. Huge increase. So you know that just requires or, or enables people to get into the business because
1: there's more. There's more there. Right. But the, how long? Um, well, well, one who's McMillan owned by now? Like who bought him? Um, I'm not sure.
0: But so the guy's name's um, Bob Beck. Bob Beck. Uh, I don't know what his company. If I don't know his company's name, maybe he's got a like a holding. Oh, company I was thinking they
1: they own multiple. Like people own multiple different brands underneath. He one does. Oh, he does. He okay.
0: does. He so he had, his his company bought Defiance. Yeah. Um, he also had owned a couple of companies before that, Extreme Outer Limits, I think. Um, okay. And then some other, like he had a media, his biggest one was like a media company. He had like a show on one of the, you know, one of the channels. Oh, yeah, 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 and
2: yeah.
0: And so that's how he really kind of got his mm-hmm. uh, fame and, and uh, probably his revenue. And then he, he um, anyway, he had a couple companies and then he's just decided to buy a couple more. I don't know what his like, what the, what the company's name is. Sure, so, he's got all these little uh, companies that yeah. he owns now. Yeah. So.
1: And do you have um, like because it's your name, obviously, mm-hmm. and you're in the business? Mm-hmm. Like, do you is there ever a conflict based on the fact that you're also in the business and it's your name? And well, people I, do.
0: It's a benefit for me, okay, because when people see the name oh, um, right. of my name, like if they yeah, you know, yeah. are about us page, yeah, like they, they associate that with yeah, Alan. Yeah. So. Um, we've tried to do the best we could of of telling people that we're not like affiliated with them, but people are going to make the association and so they and it's been a benefit for us for sure they they think that um because i, I I'm a, a an heir of the company yeah, that right. I already know exactly what I'm doing right <laughs> so it's been great yeah that's great um, so that yeah that's that's awesome um. But as far as a, a, a conflict, if there is, um, and it's still still some people think we're like a subsidiary of the yeah. or something, but it's okay. We we just keep pushing on, and and the longer that the the more we build our brand, and the the more that we separate ourselves mm-hmm. naturally from them, the less and less people think that.
1: Yeah, what, where where does the name come from?
0: My two sons,
1: oh. Gray and Bo. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the people's yeah. rifle stock, like yeah. where, why, like why, what. Because of the uh, like availability, or, or well,
0: so when I when I started the company, one of the big things that we wanted to do was we wanted to be make we wanted to make rifle stocks or composite rifle stocks accessible to just the average person. Like mm-hmm. when I say that, like the guy who's you know the, the middle income family, um, most of the guys who are actually doing the hunting, and um, you know, mill and stocks are expensive. Yeah, and they so are. they take a
1: lot. Like that's the whole thing, right? It's like time and expense. Time and expense. Yeah.
0: And so we wanted to eliminate those two things. And um, I didn't have a, we did you know, I'm, I'm kind of one of these guys who, I need to let it sink in for a long time because I can get bored with things. Mm-hmm. I might get bored with that, yeah. with that uh, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for five years or so, we didn't have any slogan. Right. And uh, my uh, my mark or my, uh, social media guy just came up with it. Like he just has all these really cool sayings that he right. just spits out all the time. And that one just stuck. We're like people's rifle stock. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like common, but at the same time, it's, it's common enough that people get it already. They don't mm-hmm. have to like they don't have to think through it very hard. Right. But the fact that we have you know people's rifle stock, I think we've had so many people now that we've adopted that. Say, dude, I love I love what you guys stand for. I love that it's the people's rifle stock. You know, um, you have you know it's the whole thing that we're doing. I and mean, you know very um, America centric. We mm-hmm. love this country. Patriots. Um, people love our About Us page. That We've had people call and say, hey, I'm not even in the market for a rifle stock, but I read your About Us page and I'm totally on board with what, what you guys stand for. I'm buying a stock. Oh, so that's, that's, cool. That's, that's cool. That's when you know you're, you're, you're doing something
1: right. Uh, so do you, um, do you only want to do rifle stocks or do you want to expand into like full rifles eventually? Well, I don't think we'll expand into full rifles I no. do like the accessory so
0: what we're our true core compet- competency at its core is molding mm-hmm. we're a good molding company all right so we can mold just about and, and we're and a rifle stock is a complex shape super complex yeah. so we've really had to work hard to be able to mold these complex shape and like I said it's a our own proprietary process nobody else do, does it like we do so that can transfer into other things. I don't know what it is yet. I love this industry. I want to keep pressing as hard as I can on this industry. But ultimately, when we think about the business as in the future of the business, we can mold anything. Right. Um, so uh, we're you know we're still focused on rifle stocks and we're and we're focused on other things that are close to rifle stocks, shotgun stocks, lever action stocks, right, right. maybe some AR components. Um, but. At some point, we'll continue to expand. I'm sure, and
1: we'll see where it goes. I don't know yet. What 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 are you excited about, though? Like, what's What's like when your feet hit the floor in the morning? Like, what's What's firing you up about Graybill? Like, sometimes I ask myself that too,
0: because I love I love it, but actually pinpointing something is hard. Yeah, which I think maybe that means I just love the process. Right. I just love being there every day. I love every day making a little bit of progress. I say this to myself all the time, and it's true, like, I could be happy doing just about anything as long as I'm moving forward. Right, right. I just happen to be, to, to have the opportunity to be in this industry and to, and to do this, and I love molding. Molding's so cool. Most people are like, like I could bore you to tears with molding. But to me, it's cool because it's hard. It's a huge barrier to entry to figure out how to do it. Um, but... I think I just love the process. I love making progress. I love moving forward. I, I wake up every day trying to just be a little bit better than the next day, figuring out how to be a little bit, whether that's in my business or in my life. I love that process. Um, so that's what, that's what gets me excited. And I love the business. I love everything about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's not like there's one solid thing. Yeah. I want to make this much money or I want to I have this kind of brand. I don't really know. It's going to go where it goes. I'm just having fun every day trying to build it. And to me, I don't know if that's a sexy answer, it's probably not, but it's one of those where it's like, I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I think just every day, I, there's not a single day, in 10 years, there's not a single day I got up and go, I don't wanna go to work, not one. Even when it's the most stressed there's been, and you know this, there's some really stressful times in business, yes. You know, seasons of extreme stress, but. Every single day, even during that, I'm like, I want to go to work. It's even almost more so because I got to get to the end of this. Yeah. yeah. I got to get to the end of this because I see something better on the other side, but I got to get through this right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I love what I do, man. I, I really do. I love what I do. I love, I love working with people. I, I love that every day is a little different. I love that I, I've got a new challenge. Sometimes it's marketing. Sometimes it's engineering. Sometimes it's production. Sometimes it's sales. Sometimes it's admin. But every day, there's another
1: challenge, and it keeps me not bored, you know? Yeah, do you think, like, as you start to look at just the business and you think about it, like, what are the things in the business, though, that you really like that you're you're truly drawn to? I mean, everybody, mm-hmm. every every founder, CEO is different. Uh, you know, some are, I'm really, you know, some of the guys are, like, are, I really am into finance or sales mm-hmm. or whatever, Like, like what's your, what's your thing that you really like more than the rest of it?
0: I would say if I had to pick one, it would be engineering and R&D, the process of developing new products, getting those products through a, uh, because we we actually quite have, have quite an extensive process to get a product to market. We have to think about what product, I mean, we have to get all this information Mm -hmm. from shooters and stuff. What's the, what's the product that we're going to build next? Next, we have to design it in CAD, and that's a, that's a process. That could take a couple months to design that product in CAD, and it's a complex shape. And then we have to make all of our molds, and we do that all that in-house. We machine, we, we machine all of our molds in-house, so that's another couple-month process. So t- for us to get a product all the way through the process and launched is anywhere between three and four months. Mm-hmm. And so once we make the molds— then we got to start making product and then we make product and then we got to go through our launch process. Like it's usually at least a month before the, by the time we get the first product off the machine to the time we can actually launch our products, we got to get out to marketing and all that stuff. And so that whole process is really fun for me. Uh, And you know, I spent, I spent most of the last 10 years developing production processes. Got it. Now I'm developing our engineering processes. And so that's fun too. And, um, I don't know. I like process. I, I like, you know, right now I'm, I'm really trying to dig in to say, how can we systematize our sales operation more? Um, we've had enough history now in three or four years of doing um, online sales that like we see where we've been successful and we see where we've not. So how do we, how do we get more systematized and how do we maximize what we've seen in the past and minimize the bads that we've seen in the past? So I love I don't know it's hard. i I don't have a great answer for you. I just love it all i, I love having to go from department to department and, and making sure that those everything's just getting a little bit more efficient every time.
1: Um, do you have um you have mentors or people within the uh, business community that you've you've looked up to that you've aspired to uh, you know maybe books mm-hmm. what 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 are the things that have kind of been your 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 lighthouse so to speak you know your, your yeah. Hmm.
0: well mentors um i've had but then as i was younger and growing up but uh, i don't really have any right now and i wish i did mm. i think that's the one thing i'm really looking for is people who have been there and done that because i'm at a point right now where i've never been with a business like it's mm. it's more like what avenues do we take this has so much potential but you know, there's a million avenues we could take, which is the one. So the, that, that's a big deal for me. I, I'd really like to, you know, get more um, interactive with people that have been farther in business than I have. Um, but as far as, um, you know, books and stuff, um, Atlas Shrugged is a big one for me. I read it over and over and really? over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I always say this to my kids too, I say this. I said, there's two books you have to read, Atlas Shrugged and The Bible. And when there's a conflict or a contradiction, refer to the Bible, (laughs) (laughs) because there are some. Uh, But, but Atlas shrugged, and and it's just it was it is a lighthouse for me. Um, When when there are times where I'm feeling less motivated or or whatever, whatever, I'll just read that over, and Mm -hmm. it just motivates me to 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 really keep pushing, you know and and really reinforces a lot of the beliefs that i have I, and the more i've read it i've i've realized it's kind of a it's it's one of those books that it's never going to be true it's never going to be cuz people don't act like that right but it's it's a it's something to strive for mm-hmm. it's like um it's something to look at and go i want let's let's try to get there that's a goal that's unattainable but let's try to get there um, and that's what I love about it. It's like, I'll, we'll never reach that, but if we can keep striving for it, we'll make it, make my little world and maybe the
1: bigger world
0: around me a better place.
1: Are you, do you watch like, um, or listen to podcasts or any of that kind of stuff? Do you do that? From time to time, I'm more of like a, a audiobook guy.
0: Right. Because I'm very careful with my time, and I want to make sure that sometimes I, a podcast, like like, I don't really need to be listening to this right now. And, yeah, yeah. and sometimes it's hard to get right to what you're what you're trying to um what you what you're really interested in, in getting at. Um there there are some that I listen to, but mostly I'm 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 listening to a lot of audiobooks mm-hmm. um in the car. Do you have like a genre
1: that you the like the Jack Carr, you know, for other team guys? Like, yeah. You, like, I haven't you, read any Jack Carr. You haven't? Come on, man. Like Jack Carr's like super yeah. fun, right? Nice. I know, and
0: I feel bad because I did a deployment with him. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh. And Drago too. I, I saw oh, Drago's either.
1: awesome, man. Yeah. That guy's crazy. Yeah. He's
0: awesome. That that deployment I talked about earlier we we're, were in Missoula that we mm. did all we did that one together. That was with them. I was just a new guy just trying to learn anything. You know, those guys were yeah. experienced guys. I remember Drago coming in. And uh we had uh basically we we got into Missoula, and then like I don't know. A month after we've been there, um, uh, 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 this Polish grom showed up, right? And he showed up with them. As far as I can remember, unless yeah, he maybe, yeah. but he showed up with them. And I'm like, I thought he was like a Polish guy. Yeah. But all my all of my senior guys knew him, and they were like, "Oh, what's up, Drago?" Or, and I was a new guy. I'm like, I don't know who who is this guy. Well, I didn't think much of it, uh, and then I later learned he's like some
1: some rock star legend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A legend. So funny. Yeah. I I when I was in the agency. And I mean, if we played the name game, we would know probably twenty people the same because you you left the teams around the same time that like I got to the agency. So all those guys mm-hmm. were leaving the teams, coming over to the agency. Mm-hmm. But I I heard stories about this guy mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. years. Yeah, and because everybody talked about him, like everybody knew him. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you know Drago. Like oh, you know this guy, this guy, and and. um and then meeting him, like I didn't disappoint. He really didn't. Mm-hmm. He's just as legendary as I actually had heard the stories yeah. about him. Like he's just so legendary, and he's so interesting. Like he's a very interesting human. Mm-hmm. You can you can have a. We, we talked for probably six hours that wow. day. He's a fucking interesting human. Yeah, because he's he's a he's a he's ultra violent. Like, he's, he's an ultra-violent human that's also very intelligent, mm-hmm. that has the ability at 63 years old mm-hmm. to still, like, fucking crush you, right? So you're like, wow. Yeah. You don't meet very many people in your life that have the capacity for just—for for, ultra-violence and ultra-intellectualism. Mm-hmm. Like, it's fucking nuts yeah. to think about, like, what kind of category that guy fits into in such a small percentage of human mm-hmm. where— and to be on, on the fact that like he's obvious, he's obviously has a certain amount of empathy, so he's not a complete socio or a psychopath mm-hmm. either. He is just a very specific and small category percentage-wise of human. Mm-hmm very very infrequently do you run into those people. I
0: didn't even realize until I just listened to the podcast that he was a Russian in the gulag or, or whatever yeah. he he said it wasn't the gulag technically because they weren't they refused Crazy. to do work yeah. but it was a prison like I had no idea. I honestly all this time I thought he was he was part of the Polish Grom. I thought he yeah. was a Polish guy. But I did learn that he he had gone through SEAL training and was a SEAL. But I thought some every once in a while, we do yeah. have foreign nationals come and right. go through SEAL training. I thought the, I thought he was still part of the Polish Grom. He had an accent and all that stuff. I had no idea. Like, I'm still learning stuff about him. Yeah. It's funny. I did a whole deployment with him. Yeah, well, did you know Jocko? No. Well, no?
1: Mm-hmm. He was right. a West Coast guy. Yeah, that's right. He, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I always forget about that. Well, I saw you guys did an origin stock. Oh, we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw that. Like, how long ago was that? Um,
0: I think that was in June. Um, okay. Yeah, they were looking. They were really looking hard to get into the hunting market. Yeah. So, yeah. um, we I forget how we connected with them, but we ended up connecting with them, and we were launching one of our primary one of our big stocks at that time, and they they wanted to uh, launch the their their camo into the hunting market. Yeah. And so, cause we could do hydro dip and all this stuff. So anyway, we launched it together. It was a really cool opportunity and we're probably still going to keep doing stuff with them. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that was awesome. But I didn't, I didn't end up even getting to meet Jocko or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I just dealt with, uh, another guy named Travis. Great, great company. Good guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good marketing team, everything. So
1: I know, I know him real well. Do you know that other dude, um, Mr. Bollin? That he's got a big YouTube. Oh, I, I, you know him? I have no. Uh, I just heard I know I've seen YouTube and stuff. He's but. a team guy too, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's, it's it's so cool to me, man. Like I, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. I was like, man, I just I love seeing bats and guys from mm-hmm. the community fucking crush it. Like I love seeing it. I just think, dude, like I've thought about that a lot. Like, why are there
0: so many successful like special operations guys and SEALs? And I think it's just because I think we just know how to keep working. I think that's the attrition rate of like business owners and people that just quit too soon. Like, and they we just have, we just have been able to be lucky enough in our lives to have an opportunity where
1: we were motivated to do something that we didn't quit. Now it's kind of part of our DNA. It is. I, I, I came back recently to um, um, Band of Brothers, the Stephen Ambrose book mm-hmm. that I read the series was based on. And I, uh, I've been listening to that for the last like, i don't know month probably because i'll listen like 20 minutes here half hour there like and like kind of back and forth and it's interesting because they go into their post-service life and a huge percentage of those guys were really successful and uh there was, there's something about i think one, wanting wanting to be in a in a special unit right you want to be with the best you want to be you want to put yourself through a selection not only that then you want to put yourself through multiple different selections to see what you you're made of and then post service you know a lot of those guys were extremely successful people a lot of mm-hmm. these guys went into teaching yeah. there are there were a ton of educators within that you know the the guys that came back mm-hmm. um construction, educators. Uh, I, I was fascinated by a couple of the guys continued on with their military career. One of the guys, which was fucking mind-blowing to me, uh, he went from, he did all, well, no, he, he did three combat jumps in World War II with the 101st. He did another combat jump in Korea, and then he also was at Dembium Fu with the French in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And he he, he got out, but he did 20-plus years in the military. He he was one of the only people that had, like, six combat jumps. And they don't even make a thing for that, right? It's like six (laughs) combat jumps or whatever. And the guy got out. He transitioned, went to work doing a job somewhere Mm -hmm. else. Like, he had a whole other life after his military career. And sometimes I want to have a conversation with my peer group around, like, because uh, I have this conversation with myself, like I'm my own senior NCO most of the time. Where I'm like, you need to get the fuck up, and you need to suck it up. One of the most important things that I, I think I took away from service was like, suck it the fuck up, mm-hmm. and just do it. Yeah. Like, like, and I have that conversation with myself l- literally every day.
0: Who can, suck it the fuck up. Who can take the most pain? Yeah. Who can
1: who can withstand the most pain for the longest? Yeah. And it's comes like to keep putting one foot in front of the other because, and and that some of our special operations peer group, like they need to be their own, they need to be their own senior NCO and they need to also have that conversation with themselves. Mm -hmm. They need to suck it the fuck up. Like the, the amount of like bullshit excuses guys fucking hear. I'm like, when I hear it, I'm like, dude, if I was your senior NCO and you were telling me that I would demolish you. like, I would say, get your two court, meet me outside. Like, that's what I would do. Cause yeah. I would just smash you. I would put you into a fucking moon dust for the stuff that you're, the excuses you're, you're well, that, providing yourself. That's the exact op. What we're talking about right now is the exact opposite.
0: Most of our society is raising our kids, mm-hmm. right? And what's making us successful is all those difficult times that we went through, all the pain that we went through, cause pain is, is that's where all the learning lessons are, mm-hmm. right? But there's no pain anymore. It's just, it's just, we have so such an abundance now. I, I I I ran across this saying. It's a it's a Bible verse, but it also applies to life. But deny yourself. In uh, First Corinthians, Jesus talks about denying yourself and picking up your cross. But you think about that. Deny yourself. Nobody denies himself. We have yeah. so much at our fingertips. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's food or access to. Getting your freaking genitals chopped out. I mean, nobody. Now we have we we're playing in a game now where we have to s- step back. It's like it's 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 a it's a game of of making sure that you you don't indulge in everything because yeah. there's so much. And I think that's maybe maybe a key going forward is like you don't have to eat everything on your plate. You don't have to. Um, I don't know. You just don't. You just don't have to take part in everything that society gives you. You know put yourself in uncomfortable situations cold plunge to me is more about men- mental mm-hmm. than it is about physical i don't really know what physical maybe something's happening inside maybe I don't but have it. getting in a in a in a 30 something degree water for 5 minutes i hate it it sucks but it mentally yeah i get out my hands hurt everything yeah, hurts everything hurts but mentally it's like you know, you got to put yourself through that
1: pain otherwise you get soft and that's not good yeah and I think you have to do that from the, I, I, I have this whole thing where it's like confidence, confidence hacks, right? Or confidence targets, because y- y- when you're developing confidence and you have to keep it going, like you have to, and you have to be just as uh, regimented uh, uh, about the way that you're building your confidence, your psychological and physical confidence back into your life as you are, like your diet or anything else. It's like you have to find these things every day where you're getting psychological wins that are building your confidence. And I, I don't think people do that. It's like, I, I like the ice because I'm like, hey man, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and it's gonna give me a sense of accomplishment. I'm gonna mm-hmm. suck it up. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna sit in here for five minutes. Like, got it, mm-hmm. cool, man. Like I, I knocked that out. I feel good about it, mm-hmm. right? I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do, you know, hundred air squats, hundred yeah, I'm just gonna do all this stuff just because like I know I can do this. I know I can do it, and I know I'm gonna like put a check mark next to a block that's gonna say, I did this even though I didn't wanna do it. I don't eat. You know, I do like twenty-four hour, at least twenty-four hour, sometimes thirty-six hour fast once mm-hmm. a week because I need a confidence target, man. I like to shoot these things down because I like to fucking kill them to prove to myself that I can still do it mm-hmm. and that the brain still has the capacity yeah. to overcome what I would say are the the uh, the 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 simplistic. Uh, 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 desires of the flesh, with a, for a lack of a better term. It's yep. like, nah, man, I'm, I'm in control of this thing. I'm in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to just eat whatever, whatever I want to eat, even though, trust me when I say this, man, I love fried chicken, I love pizza, mm-hmm. it's just like anybody else. Yep. But I'm not a weak, pathetic right. excuse of a human. Yeah. I'm just not gonna eat it, because I also don't wanna be a fat piece of shit and I also want to set an example for my kids. Yeah, I'm a, I, I have to lead an entire household and an entire company. So if I'm waddling around here like the fucking penguin, filling my 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 cake hole full of fucking fried food all day, and then like downing a, a, a two liter bottle of coke, and then finishing off my evening with you know a bottle of Jack or twelve beers, I'm just like. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a quagmire of ineffective, undisciplined crap yeah. that's just moving through this earth. You're a, con- you're a walking contradiction. I mean, because
0: of what you've done in the past, people expect a certain res- yeah. physical result, yeah. and you have to live up to that. Um, I think that the contradiction is hard. If you didn't, if you didn't maintain that, your company wouldn't be as successful as it is because they look at you and go, well, he's got, he talks about all this stuff, but he looks like a, he looks like a a fat bastard. Yeah. Well, people, people catch on to that. Like your first impression of somebody or, or the way that they look, we're always judging people constantly, whether we, whether we liked that word or not, that is part of our DNA. We're looking at people, we're assessing situations, whether it's for, you know, survival or whether it's for like, do I want to do business with this person or do I want to, you know, Buy from this company, or do I think this person's legit? We're always doing that, and when you
1: when you're not in shape, that's the first thing people think. Like he has no discipline. He has no discipline, or you know, you're smashing down a blizzard at lunch or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and people are like, why are you like twelve? Like, well, you're on your way to like a diabetes, and yep. I, like, it's such an easy thing to build in, like psychological confidence because, you know, people's complex relationship with food, just in general, Mm -hmm. where you can use food as the means in order to bring discipline back into your life. I actually think it's one of the most most effective and easiest things to build discipline back into your life through food, Mm -hmm. which is if you have a positive relationship with calorically, uh, what I would say is nutrient dense, calorically rich foods, that you're plugging into your system. So it provides you physical and mental capabilities that aren't just like empty calories of sugar. Mm -hmm. You get these easy psychological confidence wins under your belt. It's like, okay, you know what? I don't have to have, you know, the donut for breakfast. I don't have to have this. I don't have to that. Great. You get a win. You get to win straight away like mm-hmm. right away in the morning it's like i get a confidence win yeah. then it's like you bust out a quick workout even if it's like 10 15 mm-hmm. minutes you just bust it out another confidence win it's like then you keep the thing rolling Yeah. And like you know what i don't have to have you know a, a domino's pizza for lunch i'm just going to like suck it up maybe yeah. like have a you know tuna and, and spinach yeah. and then and then pretty soon it's easier to cut like the 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 jack daniel's out of your out of your day and it's pretty easy to like just start cutting all the shit yeah. that doesn't provide what i call is a positive roi a return on your health investment mm-hmm. if it's not returning a positive in- investment in your life get rid of it yeah yeah I, I you're
0: 100% right i think yeah eating is the is is the biggest crutch for everybody and it's hard for everybody. like everybody loves pizza everybody wants to have that hamburger with french fries everybody but you know it's it's your your ability and your 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 mental ability to deny yourself those things that strengthens you as a person it 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 proves to yourself that you can do hard things like it is hard sometimes especially when you've been used to eating like yeah. crap it's hard to deny yourself that pizza when everybody else is eating pizza but once you do that you do it a couple times and you get those wins then it's like you're you're confident like i don't need it I'm not right. even craving it. I don't even craving anymore. I can go. I can, I can go this whole meal without eating. I, I
1: love it. I love walking into a room where everybody's like eating pizza or whatever, and they're like, "You want any?" I'm like, "No, I'm good." Or like, you know, I like going out for drinks now, and people are like, "Oh, do you? You know, what are you drinking?" I'm like, "Soda water. That's what I drink." Well, why? Well, because I don't believe in just like onboarding toxins into my into my system mm-hmm. just for no reason, right? I, I, I'm not seeing like any and all any and all, like, things, I'm not some, you know, I'm not, I'm not preaching from some mountain. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's easier for me just to say no and, like, just build the confidence win mm-hmm. than it is for me to cave from social pressure or, you know, my immediate, you know, immediate gratification needs. Mm-hmm. And I would rather take those, like, like I guess, the, the, the simple wins in the sense of, like, you know, being able to have like a really stupid conversation with my friends that makes me laugh—that's just completely ridiculous. Like to me, that's like candy, right? It's like, oh man, this is super funny, right? This is why I'd rather be an idiot yeah. and have that than like have. You know a you know a giant chocolate cheesecake or something like that I'd rather like spend my time mentally being kind of an idiot than like a, a physical idiot i you, guess do
0: you think it's uh you think it's our age Because i'm I'm in the same exact boat you are hundred percent there's a, there's been years where I just did you know i drank too much whatever yeah. you think it's our age you think
1: what do you think it is I think it's a combination of things I think as we get older like i I, I think way more about my 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 kids. Right. I think mm-hmm. way more about my kids and kind of the example that I'm setting than I ever did for around my soldiers. Uh-huh. Right. And for you guys, your are sailors or whatever, my peer group, like, you know, as a peer group, we were all kind of doing the same shit. Like we were getting, you know, I tried to kill my liver, right. <laughs> Much like you, I would imagine, like I tried That's to kill this exactly. thing. And when uh-huh. it was socially acceptable and encouraged specifically within the peer group, well, no. dude, I can't do that now. Like I, 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 I step in here in the mornings at, you know, seven thirty, eight o'clock, I work all day. I come home and I got to be active in my kids' lives. I got to mm-hmm. be a good dad. Not only do I have to be because it's my it's my responsibility, it's my duty. I want to. Mm-hmm. Like, I, wanna play. Yeah. I want to play. I'm i 46, man. Like, I want to go, but I want to play. I want to ride bikes with them. I want to take them skateboarding. I want to take them to the trampoline park. Like, I want to do all this stuff. In order to do it, I have to be physically yeah. capable of doing it. I also have to have the energy and the mental faculties okay. in order to do this job all day and also plug in and be emotionally and intellectually available for my kids. Like I have to. Do you
0: think too, like I think about this too, because I'm I'm a process-driven guy. I love that about you probably are to some degree, if not totally as well, growing a business. Like to me, it's a challenge of, it's, an, it's almost like another little mini business. Like yeah. How, how, how? Healthy? Can I get myself? What yeah. what results can I yeah. get? Like, and I I'm going to measure them along yeah. the way. And is that is that is that something you do? Is that oh fun? Yeah. yeah yeah I
1: I have like a whole uh, health dashboard. Mm-hmm. where I get my blood work done every other month. I, I wear a, a, a glucose monitor. I like to see what's happening. You know, with my sleep, with you know mm-hmm. the way that I'm onboarding different foods, and then sometimes like like. Yesterday is a good example. I took the kids to the grocery store to get uh, dessert and they were just like going to the ice cream aisle. Like, I don't not eat ice cream. I just don't eat it every day. Right. right. It's like I'm not a a psychopath. Like, my kids are having ice cream. I'm just not eating it every day. So, and I like to see what's happening. So, what's happening in your blood sugar? Like, so if I eat, you know, a steak and, you know, a spinach salad and then, Wait an hour and I eat, you know, uh, you know, three or four scoops of Baskin Robbins ice cream. Like, what's that do? Mm -hmm. I want to know, but I also want to know how does it make me feel? How does it affect my sleep? You know, how is this caloric intake like directly affecting my 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 goals and objectives associated with my Mm -hmm. health? Like, sleep is sleep and exercise are the single most determining factors for me. Mm -hmm. Like. Like, I, I can kind of run this whole thing on chicken wings and beer if I sleep and fucking work out. Like, I can't. Yeah. Like, I know I know kind of what, yeah. I know how to regulate this whole thing. And it's like, yeah. dude, if I was working out and smashing myself, I, I could run it on chicken wings and light beer all day long. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I can't. I can't do that every yeah. day. Yeah. And it's like
0: a challenge, you know? Yeah. It's a challenge to, to it, it, you know, and on the other end, it's the best thing for you. It's... It's a challenge to do it. It's like, like I said before, deny yourself. So if I was drinking two beers a night after I get not drinking beers, uh, deny It's It's like this, new, it's the way you frame it, I think. Mm-hmm. It's like this new challenge in my life that I have have to be better better for my wife, better for my kids, better for myself, better for my employees. I've, I've got to make sure that I come to work every single day in tip top shape so I can grow this mm-hmm. business. Like it's, it's a whole reframing. Or before, you know, for me, like there was years where I'd come home and I'd probably have some Level of alcohol, um, five or six nights a week, just to because in the military that's what we did after after every time we'd get done with a with a, with a training mm-hmm. up, we we had a whole section of new guys that would bring the like that was your job yeah, is to yeah. bring the beer. So it became psychologically ingrained in my brain that after I was done with work we would drink beer. That's what happened every day in the military. So when I got out of the military, I just continued that. Not even thinking, almost almost it was like. Probably make excuses for myself saying, oh, it's just, it's my, it's what cuts off my work day from my play Uh, day. It's like this psychological cut. It wasn't even really what it did for me. Mm. Um, But
1: eventually I just had to say, okay, move on. And I I think about it too from just the confidence and then being able to plug in from a family. I think about it like I have you know the responsibility of 900 you know employees so it's like i i, I go to work every day in my sport like i'm i'm, a, I'm basically an olympic athlete mm-hmm. so when when you're playing in the olympics i'm playing in the olympics like 7 days a week 365 days a year right now mm-hmm. like it's like so when i'm playing at this level like olympic athletes aren't going out the night before they have you know the the competition right. of their lives getting fucking smashed mm-hmm. right they're not because mm-hmm. they got they got to get up they got to play and they got to perform, so it's like I get get up every day and I got to perform. And I think as we get older, and I think as we our pure group of what I would say is the the GWAT veterans, they get older, they take responsibility and their their you know their lives back. They start attriting the bullshit that just is not yielding them a positive return on their investment. If they just think about their lives like that and say, you know what, this is a negative psychological trait. Or this is a negative physical drain, or this is a negative, whatever negative drain this is. If they just stop investing in that, it would be extremely beneficial. Because to to your point, what you're saying earlier is like, I'm not a smart guy. I just just keep doubling down on the things that are working yeah. and like taking the things out of my life that don't work. It's not that. It's actually not that hard. Yeah, I think. And I've said this, like, I think like average IQ
0: guys have an advantage because we have to work hard. And it's like you build this work ethic in you where if you have talent, you may not be forced to work that hard to be good, but then all of a sudden people, that that work ethic starts to overcome, especially in business because it's not like you have talent for business. You might have talent for a sport, that might help, but Mm -hmm. people, you know, I think really what what makes people successful in business oftentimes is their just ability to keep moving forward every Mm -hmm. single day, that discipline to be consistent, you know? so, I'm 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 having fun that's for sure.
1: Man, great conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming out. Absolutely, uh, exactly. Graybo. Where can they find you? Uh,
0: Graybo.com. So oh, G-R-A-Y-B-O-E.com.
1: Cool. Go yeah. check them out. Thanks Appreciate guys. it.